Election College number 109, John Adams, part two. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, I'm really looking forward to this episode. You know why? Because of the nicknames. This is the episode where John Adams gets his nickname. My favorite nickname of any of the presidents. Yes. I know. I know we've mentioned it many times before, but like this, he he gets it and we get to talk about it. So let's get right into that. We talked last episode. If you haven't listened to the last episode and you care about John Adams before he became the vice president, go back and listen to it. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because like, he did a lot of important stuff. <laughs> exactly. So George Washington wins the presidential election of 1789, and he gets 69 votes in the Electoral College, which is, by the way, all of them. And John Adams comes in second, which was to be expected, with 34 votes. And because of that, he gets to be the vice president. Yay. I'm sure he was really excited about that. Ecstatic, actually. <laughs> so, you know, things didn't come in very quickly because he gets elected and he's like, I guess I'll preside over the Senate for a while, which is what he ends up doing for, well, let's face it, the next eight years. So it's kind of crazy because this is before the current format in choosing a vice president had been put in place after the election of 1800. And as the second leading vote getter, the vice president really wasn't that important. Yeah. They kind of like didn't have a job to do basically, except for become the president of the United States Senate, which um, yeah, John Adams becomes the president of the United States Senate as the vice president. And he's actually the vice president and doing all the jobs and the work before Washington is the president because Washington didn't get sworn in until about nine or ten days after John Adams gets sworn in. So kind of a strange situation. But anyway, that's kind of how it worked. And Adams is in the Senate, and uh, he doesn't actually have a vote except for when there's a tie. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy because Adams is like, He's diving in, right? If he's going to be the vice president, he's going to be the best vice president he can be, even though you're really not that important. Yeah. And what do you do when you're not really that important? You start making up titles. Sounds like a great <laughs> idea, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. He kind of doesn't have anything else to do. And up until this point, like he did more to become vice president than he did as vice president. And not because he didn't want to, just because there wasn't anything to do. So he starts making up titles and there's kind of this argument about what should the president's title be? And some people are like, hmm, it should be really lots of pomp and circumstance and really formal. How about his majesty, the president? Yes. Or his high mightiness, <laughs> the president of the United States and protector of their liberties. That just seems 
like a really long title to me for no good reason. Yeah. Do you abbreviate that or what do you do? I think you do. I think you abbreviate it as the president. Yeah. I yeah. think John or <laughs> I think Thomas Jefferson was like, okay, boy. Um <laughs> you're an idiot. But yeah. he didn't. He was like, I think um President of the United States sounds better. Yeah. And, uh, this is my favorite. Will you say it, Ben? Yeah. Because he was like kind of pompous about it and well, kind of aristocratic y about it. And he's also not the trimmest guy. He's kind of overweight and quite frankly, he's a little bit short. He gets a new nickname. All the other guys, all the other guys on the playground give him the nickname His Rotundity. Yeah. In order to show that he is not only very formal, but also very round. <laughs> I got to say it too. His rotundity. It's like you've never said it before. Every time you say it, it's amazing. It is. It's And it's always whenever I hear my voice or whenever I hear your voice, to be quite frank, it, it's just delightful. His rotundity. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, moving along from that, Adams, like we said, is the president of the Senate. And wow, like 31 times he had to cast tiebreakers, which is like a record still. It's it's absolutely insane. Yeah. And he is like, I have the sole authority to remove appointees. And he's like, hey, you know how we're looking for a capital? Well, I'm going to wield some influence there. So he didn't always agree with Washington. And, um, well, that didn't bode well for him in the future. But he went on to say that his two terms as vice president were frustrating experiences. He was writing to Abigail, which they have a lot of letters that they wrote to each other. He's like, my country has in its wisdom contrived for me the most insignificant office that ever the invention of man contrived or his imagination conceived. And those are like pretty harsh words. Like, I feel especially like it's their harsh words because he helped write the government into existence, right? I mean, yeah. I know he might not have put pen to paper on those specific words, but man, I mean, you just made up an office and you don't really know what it's for. That seems a little bit short-sighted. But I guess there's some good that comes out of it, too. Yeah. You can just picture him, though, being VP. Like, he was really restless. And he's just like, I want to do something. I want to do something. And the rest of the Washington administration was like, dude, just go away. Yeah. <laughs> and so you had people like, well, our man, the Wizard of Oz, Alexander Hamilton, is like, eh, I don't really care for you too much, John. Yeah, that's bad, too, because they're the same party. Oh, did I mention parties yet? The first party system comes around in 1796. And, uh, well, I mean, that's when the first election happens. And it's all because Thomas Jefferson, good old TJ, decides he's kind of irritated with George Washington. So he's going to step down from the cabinet and run against him. Yeah, and we talked about that quite a bit in one of the first episodes that we had, the election of 1788-89. So you can find out more about that in that episode. But okay, so in 
1796, you've got the first party system and Adams is the nominee because of course, if you're sitting on the shelf for eight years doing nothing as vice president, it only makes sense that you're going to run for the big job. Yeah. And you'd be kind of silly in that instance to not vote for the guy that you know has already done the vice president job. So why not vote for him for that? For the president job. <laughs> the, th Thomas Pinckney was the governor of South Carolina, and everybody thought he'd be a pretty good vice president. And um, there's like not an official policy or anything in place to pick the vice president. So whoever gets the second most votes in the Electoral College. We've talked about all that. Hopefully you know all that. If you don't, there's like a lot of episodes where we talk about it. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, so what you need to know about 1796 is Adams and Pinckney's opponents were the Democratic-Republicans, and you had T.J., Thomas Jefferson, and oh, Aaron Burr. He keeps coming back to haunt you, Jason, but it's part of history. He's here. Yeah. So Hamilton is like, okay, I'll go ahead and support Adams because, well, you're in my party. And whatever. So go for it, big guy. <laughs> Run for president. <laughs> and and when you know it, Adams wins. He gets 71 electoral votes. Jefferson gets 68. And you have this really fun experience where you have a president who is a member of one party and a vice president who is a member of the rival party. It's a great yeah, idea. It's a incredibly great idea uh, it'd be almost as bad as if you did it now you can just imagine how that would go uh, adams was actually kind of a baby in this sense i guess you could say because he said if i get to be the vice president instead of president and thomas jefferson is president i'm just gonna quit and who knows what <laughs> i'll do after that <laughs> it kind of feels right. like a uh, like a very michael scott thing to say so anyway <laughs> that's what happened yeah. So Adams, there he is. He's the president. And in case you didn't know, if you're a federalist, you're all about having a pretty strong central government. And Jefferson was like, mm, I'm not really all that about the central government. I say give power to the states. That must have been a wonderful experience to have those two sides on one administration. Yeah. Anyway, we talked a little bit about that before, but Adams really strengthens the central government. And one way to do that in this era is to expand the army and the Navy. So in 1798, he signs into the law, the act for the relief of sick and disabled seamen. And that establishes a government operated Marine hospital service. And guess what? Adams is considered kind of like the father of the U.S. Navy. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, basically, if you're a historian, you say, why did he keep all of the members of Washington's cabinet? Was he like trying to be the same guy? And yes, he was pretty much trying to be the same guy. <laughs> Everybody liked Washington. He was also the only example that there was. He served directly under Washington, and he knew that Washington was basically the epitome of Republican values. And um, just like Washington, Adams is kind of squeaky clean. He doesn't really have any scandals going on. He doesn't really have any 
giant opponents or critics, I guess you could say. Maybe Thomas Jefferson at times, but um, yeah, they they really like him. He does a good job, at least for the first couple of years. Yeah, and you know, Adams, people didn't really care for him too much. He was described as being prickly in his personality. <laughs> um, so he was often combative, and he just kind of stirred the pot when he probably didn't have to, but you know, whatever that's his personality. Um, one big thing about his term in office was the quasi war and making peace with France. He, um, really, if you know anything about the revolution, you know that France was an important ally and, there was some disputing going on with Britain and with France during this era. Yeah, there's a lot of different things that are happening. We've got the Jay Treaty, which comes around. We've got the XYZ affair. And all this kind of boils down and breaks into this war that's not actually a war. It's officially called the Quasi-War. And... We talked about it at length previously, but in short, basically the United States says American ships go out and harass all the French ships and make sure that all the French uh, people know that we're in charge of the ocean and basically we're going to jeopardize their trade here in America. And so there's never a war, but it's like constantly on the verge of being a war. So John Adams builds a bunch of different ships, as Jason mentioned a few minutes ago, and he also brings in George Washington. Why not, right? Hey, it's a great idea. Bring back Washington and all will be well. But what you need to know, and since we did already cover a lot of this in previous episodes, Adams, he avoids war. With the British. He avoids war with the French. But guess what? He's like split the Federalists all up into pieces. Nobody's getting along in the Federalist camp. By the time 1799, 1800 rolls around. Eh. Yeah. It's not really as friendly of a competition as it was before. We're not all working towards the same goals and I don't think we always were in the, in the United States, but um, there certainly was less of a, an outward display of it previously. Yeah. So moving on to the election of 1800, do you think that's a good idea, Jason? I think it's a fantastic idea. But unfortunately, in 1799, Washington dies. Oh, man. So that's like, there go the Federalists, right? Pretty much. I mean... He was the one who unified the party, and he's gone. And you've got Adams. You've got Charles Coatsworth Pinckney, and they're all about defeating Jefferson and Burr. And Hamilton, remember him, the Wizard of Oz, he's still around, right? Uh-huh. It must be nice to have Hamilton on your side, right? Right, exactly. So he tries to sabotage Adams' campaign, thinking that Pinckney would emerge as the winner. And this doesn't really go well, because what ends up happening is Adams 
loses to Jefferson by like eight electoral votes. And New York, where Adams is from, provides the decisive margin. Yeah, and actually Aaron Burr ties. Oh, why do you say that name? I oh. know, I know. Aaron Burr ties with Thomas Jefferson, and it goes to further vote and further vote and further vote, and Hamilton eventually says, listen, if it's got to be Aaron Burr or Thomas Jefferson, I don't like him either one, so I'm going to say Thomas Jefferson just because like, I believe he actually believes what he's saying. And um, yeah, so Thomas Jefferson wins. Aaron Burr comes in in the vice presidency. Again, we've talked about all these things before, but the one thing we haven't, well, I guess we have talked about. The one thing that sounds really cool to say we haven't talked about is (laughs) the fact that John Adams gets to be the first president to occupy the president's mansion, known as the White House later on. And uh, even though it's not done yet, he's like, I got to get in there because I'm out of office soon. Yeah, so on November 1st, 1800, he takes up residency and he's there for uh, just a little while because guess what? Jefferson is about to take over as president. So Adams uh, and his last few days as the president uh, names John Marshall as the chief justice which was a pretty big deal because Marshall really is the last Federalist who has any impact on the national scale. We've talked about that before, you know, people trying to get him to run for president and so on. But he's like, hey, I'm the chief justice. This is a lifetime appointment. I think I'll be here for a while. So Adams decides, I think I'll go back to Quincy, which didn't used to be named Quincy, by the way. And he decides to go back there and actually begins working on an autobiography. Shocker, he never finishes it. Most people who start autobiographies never finish them. And, you know, they're picked up and finished by the family or something like that. But he basically just jumps back into writing letters back and forth to some old friends, Benjamin Waterhouse, Benjamin Rush, and eventually even with uh, Thomas Jefferson, who they weren't terribly great friends. But uh, Benjamin Rush is like, guys, you used to be really good friends, and I just want to have like poker games and stuff again. So can you guys be friends again? Yeah, it's kind of crazy because the two couldn't stand each other, or at least politically, it was really rough. But then after Rush got these two guys to, well, let's just put it this way, to correspond, it turned out to be one of the greatest legacies from our founding fathers that you would have John Adams and TJ writing back and forth. Yeah. And so comes to about a month before John Adams dies and he says about the United States, look, I really, really want everything to go well for the United States. Um, We're about 50 years into this whole thing and I'm, I'm pretty proud of what we've done, but let's keep it up. Yeah. So interestingly enough, um, the friends, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, they both die on July the 4th, 1826, which was the 50th anniversary of the adoption of the Declaration of Independence. So 
it is said that Adam's last words were, Thomas Jefferson survives, although Jefferson actually died several hours before. Yeah, pretty crazy. Want to talk a little bit about his legacy? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you don't hear a lot about John Adams, I feel like. I mean, I feel like you should, but he just it doesn't get the respect that the president before him gets, which is, uh, of course, George Washington. I feel like he doesn't get the respect that Thomas Jefferson, who comes after him, gets. It's kind of a strange situation to be in where you're really important, but you're like the second guy. Right. Yeah. And he did want to be top dog. And he was a great thinker and he was a great writer. And a lot of our heritage and a lot of the form of government that we have is because of Thomas Jefferson, you know, with the whole concept of having the separation of powers. We ended last episode talking about that a bit. Kind of interesting about his views on slavery. He was very much against slavery, but he thought it was more important that the United States be unified. So he was unwilling to really speak out against slavery in a public manner. Unlike his wife, Abigail Adams, she was like, you know what? It's wrong and it should be abolished. Yeah, it's kind of funny because in Massachusetts, he's kind of an outspoken guy about slavery, about how it's not a good thing. But on the national scene, he's like, no, nah, if I say anything, the nation's going to split. And uh looks like, I mean, he was right. Uh, didn't happen right away, of course. But um, yeah, it was he was intelligent in the fact that he could foresee that, but uh, he was definitely against slavery in, in any way, shape, or form that he could be. Yeah. It's kind of crazy, too, how he had a lot of leftover thinking as being a former British subject. A lot of his train of thought was centered around, well, the monarchy really wasn't that bad of an idea. And, you know, maybe maybe we should do something like that over here. So of course he would be accused of being a monarchist, but right. um, thankfully some of those views didn't uh, last. Right. Exactly. Hey, anything about John Adams that you want to close with? Anything else? Just interesting. You know, I tend to think of the big hair and the big title <laughs> of his rotundity, but um, yeah, he was one of the great thinkers in forming our government. I agree. Yeah. Kind of crazy. Like I said, we don't hear a lot about him, but if you look at everything he's done, it was like, wow, most of the way of most of the things I learned in civics class in like 10th grade are a result of John Adams. So um, certainly had a lot of impact. Yeah. And we're still fighting that battle, aren't we, in our government where is it states' rights Or is it a strong central government? The battle rages on. Hey, uh, if you want to help us in the never-ending battle against all the big guys out there, the top dogs, the um, (laughs) million-dollar sponsored podcasts that are out there, do us a favor and head over to electioncollege.com slash Amazon, where anything you purchase will look and feel and cost just the same as any other Amazon order you uh, put in, but we'll get a little cut of it. And that'll really be, uh, it's nice. It keeps us warm at night. Yeah. Yeah. 
And if there are people who love history as much as you do, because let's face it, you've listened to a whole episode of Election College by the time you're getting to this, hey, go out, tell them about the program. You can find us also on social media by looking for us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Election College. We love getting reviews, and it helps other people find out about the show, and it helps us feel um, like we're accomplishing things. So thank you for the reviews that have come in. Thank you for the reviews we know you're going to leave. You can do that easily, electioncollege.com slash review, uh, or you can just log right on the iTunes and search for us. We will pop right up. I think that's it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.